Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 19 as our text. Two sermons left in the book of Philippians. And um, I've been chomping on this for about three weeks. Uh, so uh, we should get out around five, six maybe or so. I, I'm just joking. But man, is it... Um, exciting text, and uh, I hope that you are encouraged as much as I was studying it and preparing for it. So um, let me read this text before we sit down here as we honor God's word. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 and following, read this way, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, You have done well to share with me in my afflictions. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Mesopotamia, no church shared with me in matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you you, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account, but I have received everything in full and have abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Father, we break forth this text this morning and we truly ask for you by your spirit to speak to us through it, Lord. On my own, I am not sufficient enough in any way, shape, or form to handle your word, Lord, but we know that the spirit can speak to us through a servant, Lord. And so we've asked that you would burn upon our hearts these truths, Lord. We want to have contentment, Lord. We want to find our contentment in Christ. We battle this world. And Lord, we know that you will strengthen us. And you will give us contentment, Lord, when we seek you. So Lord, teach us these things today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a very interesting text at the end of Philippians. And he's dealing with some issues that kind of get close to the heart. Each and every one of them that we've been tackling over the last few weeks together in the closing of this are what you may call sensitive issues, particularly in today's culture. And today, we don't talk about issues of anxiety and and contentment because those may step on somebody's toes. Last time we were together in this text, we looked at that Paul took on anxiety. And anxiety in today's world is treated with a pill, blame somebody else for your issues. And Paul takes it head on. And he teaches us that we treat anxiety with a steady dose of Christ. We treat it with Christ. 
And we realize that he gives you peace. And the whole text was the difference between anxiety and peace, all found in the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting our lives to him. Look at with me at verse 7 and 8 and just reminder of this. He said, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and your mind where? In Christ Jesus. Your heart and mind will not be guarded if it's not in Christ Jesus. If it's not thinking of him and, and setting your heart and mind on the things above where Christ is seated. You will not have this peace that passes and guards our hearts and minds. Notice, eight. we remember this. We said, finally, brethren, whatever is true, and, and you remember we put Christ in here, and we said Christ is true, and Christ is honorable, and Christ is right, and Christ is pure, and Christ is lovely, and Christ is of good repute. If you believe this, if this is excellent to you, praise God for it. What an ama- uh, amazing text. In today's text, as we just read, Paul takes on contentment, another issue that is in the heart, right? Anxiety and contentment are things of the heart, not often seen on the outside. And we can hide these things. But Paul's doing a little spiritual surgery here. He's going in deep. And so today, Paul takes on this idea of contentment in Christ It's another hot topic in the world today because people don't like people prying into the areas that they can't accomplish without a list. So he's he's saying, look, this isn't about a list. Well, I do this, I do this, I do this. God, give me this. This is about where your heart's content. Are you satisfied with Christ? One might think as you look at the closing of this text and and to the church in Philippi that Paul seems to be nosing around in some sensitive areas. (laughs) And I I thought Paul, I I thought Paul, it intriguing of him that he would would do this. He he doesn't do this in all the churches. If you study uh, Corinthians, he's trying to get them to know what love is. (laughs) He's trying to teach them what, what love looks like. Because they're way behind the church in Philippi. And so I think what he's doing is he's pressing on with this church. He's able to get to areas of Christian life, deep issues of the heart. And then, let me commend the church of Philippi as well as our own, that we can open this word of God and look at it today. And the reason is because churches obey the gospel. When the church obeys the gospel, individually and collectively, God will let us go deeper. He'll let us go deeper. And I think that's such a blessing. Don't be one who just stays on the surface of Christianity. Ask God to take you deeper. And I think that's what he's doing here, even in the text this morning. The leadership here at Grace praises the Lord that this kind of study of these kind of truths can deepen our strengths, that our church can handle this. And we praise the Lord for that. That's his work, not ours. I do want to say that contentment is taught throughout the scriptures in a lot of places. Um, I was reading some of Solomon's writings throughout Ecclesiastes this week, and I came across this verse. He says this, and just jot these down as we had an introduction. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Anybody believe that? (laughs) Nor he who loves abundance with its income, this to his vanity. 
So there's this constant carrot that the world holds out in front of the lost called money and income and desires and you can never get there and you can never find satisfaction in and Solomon says it's vanity. It's out there, it's been there from the fall of man in Genesis 3. Dear Hannah, as she prayed to the Lord, asking for a son but accepting his will, said this, the Lord makes poor and rich, he brings low and he exalts. Hannah came to a point where she was content, Lord. I'm content. Job, after his wife tells him to curse God and die, says, shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? Isn't that amazing, those thoughts of those who have wrestled with contentment and been given much and have lost or, or barren womb, which was a disgrace at every level. We watch men and women get to a point of contentment. It was just part of the daily conversation of those who went before Christ. John the Baptist, as he spoke of the coming of Christ and he baptizing people in a baptism of repentance, Soldiers came up to him. Remember this in Luke three fourteen, and they said, "Well, what should we do?" And he says, "Be content with your wages." He told the Roman soldiers that. Why? Because they're shaking down Christians. They're shaking down people to get money out. They're not content with what God is giving them. And even in that instruction, we see that. But to the church, there is rich instruction. First Timothy chapter six six, as Paul writes to the now pastor Timothy of Ephesus, says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So we're always looking for gain in our 4013 or what are the retirement stuff, right? Or, man, how did the market do today, you know? The Bible says, look, godliness with contentment is the best gain you can ever have. Oh, to be there. Oh, to be there. And we can say, oh, Lord, I'm content. I'm living a life by your grace and by your mercy and through the, through the strength of the spirit of God, I can submit to what you have. Oh, the Bible says that's, that's great gain. Oh, that's, that's in the plus column. And just a little further down in that text, chapter six, verse eight, he says, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. <laughs> you know, when you travel a little bit, you see this. The most joyful people I've ever seen in all my life, Christians are that. They have food and they covering and they love Jesus. They don't have vehicles. They don't have, you know, they live in a jungle somewhere, but they have Jesus. And you learn from them. And then listen to this verse, and we'll come back to this later, but Hebrews chapter 13, five. This is the great verse that tells you that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. But I want you to hear the first part of the verse that the writer says. He says this, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you nor ever forsake you. See, we quote that last part of that verse all the time, don't we? But it's based in contentment. What an amazing text that is to remind us that God wants us to be content with what he has given us. Paul said he learn to be content in his weakness and challenges us to do the same in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If we have time, we'll look at that this morning. Be content in your weaknesses. Okay, Lord, you made me this way. Help me to worship you and trust you in my weaknesses. Jesus said, 
in Luke chapter 12 that there was a man who wasn't content with what he had, so he, Jesus gives this parable of this man and he builds bigger barns. You remember that story? And he, he fills those barns and then he sits back and what? He says, look, my soul's content. Look, all that I have. And then God says, tonight your soul's required of you. What then becomes of your things? And Jesus follows up with these words. He says, your father knows what you need. Your father knows what you need. Isn't those sweet words? I doubtlessly, some people are suffering in this room from something today. And, and if, you, if you come away from anything from this message, come away with the fact that you can say, my father in heaven who is perfect and flawless in all that he does, he makes no mistakes, knows what I need. He knows what I need. And it started with your own sin issue because your sins were taking you to hell. And he knew you needed a savior. Starts there. And then he floods us for the eternity of his grace and mercy in our lives. Now you say, well, Paul, do you understand my situation? You understand what you're writing here? Well, just ask yourself one question. Where is Paul writing this letter from? Yeah, he's in prison. He's under housewife. He's lost his freedom. He's guarded around the clock by a Roman soldier. He's awaiting a trial that could end his life. F.F. Bruce said this. He literally awaits for the lion or the sword. As he writes this letter. Believe me, it was very common. Hey, let's have fun with this guy. Turn the lions loose. We'll all have a good time talking about how he got killed. He's writing in that situation. When I, as I refreshed my mind, I said, oh my goodness, Lord. I'm writing this from the comfort of my office. <laughs> this sermon. With a wife who loves me. Children who love me. A church growing in Christ. So contentment cannot be based on our circumstances. If they are, you're in trouble, aren't you? Because your circumstances can change on the way home from here today with one car wreck or a hospital visit next week and they say you have this. Oh, our contentment cannot be in that. So let's think about this text today and I want you to know the pinnacle verse is what verse? Verse what? Verse 13, somebody said it out there, praise the Lord. That's the pinnacle. It's not a verse for your high school basketball team. It's a verse about how you can be content. So we'll look at that as we go down. Let me give you five quick thoughts here. I'll try to be quick. Um, if we don't get through it, we'll tag on to the last sermon for next week. But here we go. Number one, those content in Christ trust the sovereign plan of God. Those content in Christ trust the sovereign plan of God. The church in Philippi is now about 10 years old. And they have supported Paul's mission endeavor to Thessalonica, to Berea, to Athens, and to Corinth. This little church in Philippi has been his best supporting church. And he gives evidence of that all through Acts chapter 17 and 18. But for some unknown reason, there was a break in support. Notice in verse 10, look at it. It says, you, right at the end, you lacked opportunity. You lacked opportunity. I thought long and hard about this. I said, 
Lacked opportunity. What happened? Well, then they just got thinking about what was going on. Paul had been going through this appeal process as he works his way to Rome and eventually Caesar's court, and it's quite possibly that he was hard to get a hold of. Do you remember the stories? He traveled by sea and land. He was shipwrecked, snake bit. He went through trials and appeals and times he said, I stood alone and there was no one with me. It was difficult to catch up with him. In fact, most people probably didn't want to catch up with him. Because if you're associated with him and they kill him, guess who they may do with you? And so I, I think probably that's what he was talking about. But notice verse 10. Look how it starts out. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concerns for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Notice the joy that Paul has now that the relationship between them again has the opportunity for ministry. It has an opportunity to proclaim the gospel together. And this is such a mission point when you look at this text. When do we have opportunity to minister to those who are doing what we cannot? Did you hear that? Can any of you pick up right now and head for the jungles of the Philippines? Could you leave tomorrow? Most of us probably can't. We have obligations that can't. But they are our dear friends down there doing what we cannot and so when we see opportunity, and I, that's what I love about this church in Philippi, is they looked for opportunities and they stepped into them and served. They, they, they said, hey, now, hey, we know where Paul is. We've got a letter from him. We can, we can send Epaphroditus to him and he can do the ministering for us. We can send our own guy. What a, what a blessing. And we as a church should be thinking this type of mission-minded. When will we have opportunity to, mission to, uh, to minister to those people on that back wall? And will we give to that end? See, I believe Paul is so happy because as soon as the church in Philippi had opportunity, they jumped at it. And I think it encouraged him. I think it encouraged him. Other churches were struggling, Corinth fighting over who gets to stand up and prophesy over who. They're wrestling with tongues. They're wrestling with all these crazy things that we see today in the church today as well. And here's Philippi. Hey, we just send our pastor Epaphroditus to you and you know, we just want to help. Can we, can we help spread the gospel? Which church do you want in your corner as a missionary? See, that's what gets you excited about this. See, Paul knew God, that God was sovereign plan. He, through the Spirit, wrote, and we know that God causes all things to work together to those for good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to purpose. He knew that. And he knew there was a purpose. He knew there was a lag in some time. But he knew God had all this together. So Paul seems to be overjoyed because the church is acting within the sovereign plan of God which reflects in their obedience. And you go, well how, well, how do we know the sovereign plan of God? Obey. That's how you find it. You go, I want the sovereign plan for God in my life. What is God's sovereign plan for my life? Obey. Obey. Find where in the Bible where God tells you to obey him, submit to him. I promise you, you'll land in the middle of his will. Obey. It's, it's, it's those that we go, well, you know, I know God really wants me, you know, to stop sinning and stop being involved in this stuff that's godless and not a part of him, but I don't know. It's hard to give these things up. Mm. You're always going to have a lot of doubt. Obey. 
When we obey, we go, I know what the Lord wants me to do. I know what he wants me to do today. And his will becomes unfolded through this. Look at verse 11 with me. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul says that he is not speaking from want. The word means need or poverty or a deficiency in, in any way. Meaning this joy is not coming because your gift is my only hope. He, he's saying my hope is Christ. He wrote in Romans 5 two, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. That's Jesus. But this verse reminds us of the heart of Paul as a shepherd. He's full of joy because the church is serving God by meeting needs. Do you catch that in there? Look, I, I, I'm, I'm rejoicing in verse 10, not because, oh, I'm in want and I was never going to get out of this. I was in a jam and man, by chance, boy, just by chance, you guys stepped up. No, he's rejoicing because the church responded to God. Oh, that's what makes pastors' hearts excited. That's what, that's what encourages leadership within a church when they watch the church say, I want to be a part of this. I want to be involved in these things. Let's think about our own lives for a minute. See, we can confuse truth of contentment by distorting the difference between needs and wants. Hmm. We can confuse the truth about contentment when we, when we distort the view or the understanding of needs and wants. What are the true needs and what are our desires or our wants? See, if we don't separate these terms in our actual lives, we will soon join the rat race of the world. Anybody want off that thing that the, our hamsters run around on? You just look at that, your kids, you know, if you're kids like us, we have a hamsters that come and go, it seems like, in our house, and they watch them run around on that thing, and I go, man, that's, that's life on earth sometimes. Get up, get in traffic, go do your job, turn around, come back, pretty soon you've lost sight of what God has you for, and you're cranky with one another. Kids are off running, doing whatever they want. Your family seems to be spreading in many different, different directions. Look, when we say, Lord, will you supply what we need to worship you and give us a contentment in that, we know we'll express joy. I wrote a prayer in my note here, and let me just read it. I said, Lord, help me see your glory daily to be content with what you choose to give me and help me within those means to magnify your name in this life. Help me be content with those means that you give me to bring glory to you. I wrote that on my, that's a prayer. I sat down and wrote it. I said, Lord, that's what I want. Now, I know I'm not always there, right? Sometimes wants are powerful, aren't they? Let's be honest. Lord, give us what we need. Give us the means. Help us live within that so we can bring glory to you. Number two, those content in Christ except the mysterious nature of God's will. Look at verse 12 with me. It's a fascinating verse. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. 
Paul says, look, I've seen both sides of the fence. That good cowboy term there? I've seen them both. I've seen both sides. Because our problem is what? We look over the other side of the fence and go, oh, if we could just be on that side of the fence. Paul says, I've seen them all. And maybe when Paul speaks of about abounding in plenty, he's speaking of maybe even his pre-conversion state. I, I don't know, I, I scoured the scriptures this week trying to find where he seemed to have a ton and had a great life from a physical standpoint of view once he was converted in Acts chapter nine. And let me show you what I found. Go to Acts chapter nine with me and let me peruse through just a couple of quick passages. Because I keep looking for the abounding that he's talking about from an earthly point of view. Houses and homes, maybe you had an extra spare chariot in the garage. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm telling you, we don't see those things. Look, look with me in Acts chapter 9, verse 22. But Saul kept increasing, increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. That's why they crucified Jesus, because he said he was the Christ, right? Do you get that? He's preaching the exact same message Christ preached about himself. Verse 23, when many dangers had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. And their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him in by night and let him down over the opening of the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Okay. Prosperity? No, I'm down to a basket. And all that I can carry in the basket, depending on how many guys are holding the rope. Go to Acts chapter 14. I just picked out a couple of these. Um, the scriptures are replete with these things. But look at Acts chapter 14, verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They're following him. These are not friends. Having won over the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. You, you, you get the idea. Good, good riddance. Done with him. But while the disciples stood around him, that must have been quite a sight. He's bleeding. He is, looks dead because they supposed him to be dead. He got up <laughs> and he entered the city and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium. Wait a minute, he was just there. And to Antioch, strengthening the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Is he content? Doesn't have much. Sore head. Look at Acts 16, verse 22. The crowds rose up together against him, and the chief magistrate tore their robes off them and proceeded in order to them to be beaten with rods and when they had struck him with many blows they threw him into prison commanding the jailer to guard them securely and he having received such a command threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks but about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and prisoners were listening to them anybody picking up what contentment he's talking about? He has nothing. 
He has nothing. He has lost all. We've seen that in Philippians chapter three. He said, I'll suffer loss of all things for knowing Christ. And, and remember, we talked about that. At a Pharisee at 30 years old, when he gets converted, he probably has everything imaginable in the modern day. Pharisees did not marry outside their families. They married inside the families. They kept the orchards and the homes and all the money. They kept that all to themselves. They would not marry outside of that. Paul doubtlessly lost all of that. And I know a lot of commentaries say Paul's wife died, but there's no evidence that he was married or not married or she died. He probably was married and he probably lost all of them. And yet... When you read the truth, and I have tons more scriptures to read on that, but we have no time to do that. It's contentment found in praising God. Notice the word want in that text as you turn back in verse 12. He says that I don't have want. Um, it's, it's the word, um, excuse me, it's the word every circumstance. Or stand, every circumstance in this text. Um, he says, I know how to live in prosperity. And then he says this in the middle of the verse, in any and every circumstance. I think most translations are similar to that. I have learned the secret of being filled. Now that word is an interesting word. It's um, mueo. It's a hapaxagama. What does that mean? That's a great term, meaning it's only used once in the New Testament. And, and what that word has the idea of saying is that Paul said, I'm learning contentment even in the mysterious, providential, planned circumstances of God. The word is a fascinating word. It means to learn in secret, but it has a kind of a dual thought to that, that this verb here, meaning God's plans are often mysterious to us. I think most of the time they are, Right? I have prayed countless times where I say, God, I don't know why you let that happen. But please help me trust you that you're in this. I mean, that's praying for you all, praying in our own family. Uh, whatever the circumstances, so many times I said, Lord, I have no idea why you did that at this point. It's mysterious to us, right? We don't know the circumstances that God lets us in. But that's how we learn. And I think, that's what, I think that's the heart of this verb. It's a very difficult verb to kind of translate out and we say we learned in secret. Meaning, we trust the mysterious plan of God. We trust it. And then we learn from it. And Paul says, I have learned from his mysterious plan. Things happen to you. Think about your life. Maybe some very unfair things have happened to you. Maybe it came from those closest to you or those at work, whatever it may be, and it was unfair, it was unjust. And everybody around you agrees with that. What's God teaching you? What's God teaching you in that situation? See, I think that's what Paul's talking about. He's beat and stoned and left for dead and, and he's shipwrecked and snake bit and left in the sea overnight. The list just goes on and on. And yet he says, I've learned that I can trust God even in his mysterious circumstances. I can trust him. So that's the heart of contentment. Paul says, look, I've learned to be content with my tummy empty and my tummy full. Isn't that what he's saying here? I have learned to be content 
when I have what I need and when I don't have what I need. You, you remember in First, Second Corinthians 12 and he's going down through that list and, and I want to get there but I don't have quite time to get there today but he says, we've, we've been of sleepless nights. There's a lot of other things. There's snake bit and beaten and stoned and whipped and all that stuff's all in that. But he says, sleepless nights. How do you do after a sleepless night? I'm brutal. It's not good when Scott does not get his rest. Now, throw on, when you lay down, your back sticks to the ground or to the sheet because you have so many whippings on your back. And he says, I've learned to be content. See, he's challenging the church if they really want to have joy. Be content when God gives you a lot and when he gives you little because he has a perfect will. People ask me a question all the time. They say, Pastor, how will I do when the loved ones, the loved ones that I love so dearly are judged before God and cast into outer darkness? How will I handle that? I said, you won't handle it. God will do it for you. And when you stand in his presence, you will see him in all his glory and you will be absolutely perfectly satisfied with every judgment he makes. You and I have a hard time getting our mind around that at this moment, right? I have a grandmother that died denying Christ. Friends and relatives. Hurts. Stand over their grave and look at it and know that they rejected Christ. But I and you, we, Paul, has a sovereign God. It's mysterious how he works in all ways. You can trust him. And I promise you, our lack of contentment is because we don't, what? Trust him. And Paul's pushing us here. Now, here's a pinnacle verse, third thought. The joy of our security in Christ for life and for godliness. The joy of our security in Christ for life in godliness. This is a key verse. It is the pinnacle of the text. This is not a verse, as I said earlier, for your high school basketball team, right? I went to Christian schools. This was our verse. We can do, you know, we can beat so and so, you know, Christ. Is can you, do you see the context now, how that's used out of context? We probably should not use that that way. But maybe, maybe you and I should write it on our checkbook. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even though it's got negative numbers this month. Maybe we should put them on the dash of that old car that you hate. But you can't afford a new one right now. I can be content with this pile of, this car that works. Right? You know, maybe we should put it over the door of our house that maybe we're not content with because they're building all the new ones. Don't know how they're going to get their water, but that's another story. Um, they're building all these new houses. And this one, boy, we, if we could just get out of this one. Maybe we should put it there. And maybe when we are blessed by God with abundance, which I think everybody in this room, at least at some time in your life, you can say, wow, I've had more than I need. This should be the verse that reminds us that our contentment is not in the things that we have, but in the God who gave them to you. Did you catch that? Our contentment cannot be in the things that we have, but in the God who gave them to you. 
God, charge me, help me be content. See, Christ is the key word here in verse 13. I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. Why can I do that? Because Christ stepped out of heaven. He assumed a body so he could die, so God could judge him for our sin. And then, and then, and it's so foolish, because here's where we go, oh, Jesus died for us. Oh, the gospel's so beautiful. Man, I feel alone in this world. I gotta go to work. I hate my job. I hate my house. I hate my car. Like, Christ is a good, you know, he gets us through this hell thing, you know, <laughs> right, and sin and all that stuff. But he's not there for us. And such a false thinking. He, he tells us, be content with what I give you because I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to leave you. And what part of never do you and I not understand? <laughs> well, Monday in the commute, sometimes we don't understand it. See, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain in verse 21 of chapter 1. For me to live is Christ. Death is where all the gain comes. We step into heaven. Today we live because of Christ. Easy to say, isn't it? But God will strengthen us to live that way. He told the Galatians in Galatians 2.29, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. The law killed me, he says. I came up against the law and I go, I'm a dead man. Amen? Anybody want to take on the law? Because if you take it on and come to him without Christ, he's going to judge you by his law. And no one, no one will stand before him. So Paul says in Galatians 2.19, for through the law, I died. So he came to the law and he goes, dead man. And then he says this, but I have been crucified with Christ. So it's not longer I, the dead guy who lives, but it's Christ who lives within me, the new guy. And the life which now I live in the flesh, that's the dead guy, I live by faith in the son of God who now makes me alive, who loved me and gave himself for me. So live on, he's telling. Live, live because Christ strengthens you to accomplish these truths. I want to take you to two texts. We'll have to do it quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because maybe, sometimes you think, well, Paul's a supernatural Christian. Well, I think we're all supernatural Christians because we have a supernatural God. But you go, well, nah, come on, it's the Apostle Paul, you know. There's Jesus and then there's Paul, right? You know, I love this text because uh, it reminds you that Paul knew what it was to suffer internally. Verse 7 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians says this, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, uh-oh, there wasn't a complete manual yet. And God was speaking directly to Paul and through Paul. Can you imagine the weight of that burden? Amazing. And he says, because of that revelation, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself. Look, we love our brothers and sisters that are caught in an extreme charismatic movement, but we need to show them that God does not exalt men when he speaks. He exalts himself. And Paul never wanted to say, get up and say, well, God, God's speaking through me today. Unfortunately, too many of our dear friends think that God is speaking up and above the scriptures and he's doing it through them. That is extremely dangerous 
And Paul knew how dangerous it is because he said, he's gonna give me this thorn right here. He, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh so I won't exalt myself, a messenger of Satan himself to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. He realizes the position God has put him in. He wants to be content with it. He does not want to grow in his own exaltation. Verse eight, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that he might leave me, that it might leave me. Three times he prayed, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. And everybody wants to know what it was. And I don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell us. But I'll guarantee you people were involved. And then he says this, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. You want to know how to be content? Accept your weaknesses. Admit them. Tell your spouse, tell your children, I am not strong in this area. Will you pray for me? I'm weak. And you've seen it in my leading or lack of leading or my our relationship together. I'm weak in this. I'm asking God to help me. Would you pray with me? Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And that's what happens when you say, oh, Lord, I can't do this. He gets the glory because he accomplishes it. And you can say, that wasn't me. It wasn't me. I understand this at some level. Many times your kindness after sermons, you say, you know, pastor, that was just a great message. And I say, it wasn't me. I couldn't do that. That's the word of God. That's the Spirit of God speaking through a cracked vessel. That's God drawing straight lines from a crooked stick. Does that make sense? And when you handle that person at work or that person that comes to the door or that relative and you share the gospel with them and you come away and you have such joy in your heart and go, how did I do that? That's God doing it through you. And you say, Lord, I can't handle the next person who denies Jesus Christ as God that comes to my door handing me this watchtower. And you say, Lord, will you help me? Because I want to I wanna present you. Look at this, verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, distress, persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We run around and boast about our strengths. Paul runs around and boasts about his weaknesses. One other chapter, Ephesians chapter three, real quickly, you gotta see this. For, verse 14, for this reason I bow the knees, I bow my knees to the Father, this is submission. Pure Worship before God. I bow my knees before the Father whom, from whom every family in heaven on an earth derives its name. You don't exist if it wasn't for God. And that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That's not the outward. That's not where, con- where we think contentment is. Oh, give me everything I need. It's inner, he's saying, this is where this is coming to the inner man, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with, the, with all the saints, 
what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. That's contentment, contentment, contentment there that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly beyond all that we, you and I at Grace Bible Church, ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow. That's contentment. So Paul is saying Christ is our all in all. Forethought, just real quickly. God graciously allows us to be a part of his sovereign plan. Turn back to our text, verse 14 through 17. These are fascinating little verses. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my afflictions. You yourself also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving or receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases on your account. Wow. Paul told him already, he said, let your love abound more and more in chapter one, verse nine. Chapter two, he said, do not be selfish. Do not be full of empty conceit. Humble yourself of mind and regard one another more than yourself. This is what he's been reminding of them. And here in verse 14, we see that that's what they did. He says, look, nevertheless, you have done well to share in my affliction. To share, that word share is an interesting word. It's only used a couple times, but the root of that word is koinonia, fellowship. He says, you, you, you Philippi church, you koinonia'd with me when I suffered. You were there. This last week, Bob Burnham got very, very sick. Last Sunday, I was out of town. And by the time I got to him, I think he was tired of seeing people from grace. <laughs> Let me sleep. <laughs> Suffer with people. Weep when they weep. Rejoice when they rejoice. That's what he sees in this church. He sees that they are people who do that. In other words, Paul is saying, when, when suffering came my way, you did not run the other way, but you embraced it with me and you suffered with me. When you see people suffer, run to them. This magnifies God, and I promise it'll help in your contentment issue. Verse 15, what a fascinating verse. Wouldn't you like it to be said of, of Grace Bible Church? Wouldn't you like this verse to be said? No, notice the end, that no church, the, the second half of 15, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. But you alone. I hope that's said about us. It's why I like to introduce new ministries to you like Compassion for Congo. That's a grassroot baby ministry just getting off the ground over in the heart of the most poorest people in the world. And, and we got in with that. God let us get in on the ground floor with that ministry. And I think that glorifies the Lord. Look at verse 16. He said, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Paul's telling us that the generosity of the church of Philippi allowed Paul to minister to the church in Thessalonica free of charge. He didn't have to go in there and say, hey, can you help me? Uh, Gene and I get this 
more than we can tell you. We appreciate this verse for many years in our early ministry. We church planted out in the middle of nowhere where the sagebrush is high and the cows are running wild. But there's all kinds of families and cowboys and, and fam- ranching families with no churches out there. And the only way we were able to get out there is that churches joined with us and individuals joined with us and gave to our ministry for us to go. And when you want to talk about partnership, we read this verse, we go, wow, those men and women, those families and those churches that stood with us, allowed us to preach the gospel and there's churches standing to this day out there in the middle of nowhere. And next time you drive across Nevada, if you ever do that, there are churches planted out there because people stood with other people to see the gospel go somewhere where they could not. And I, I love that verse. It gets me excited. Look what you did. You, you stood with me. More than once you met my needs. Verse 17. Look, he says, not that I seek the gift itself. This isn't about money. That's what Paul's saying. It's more than that. It's more about the increase on your account. It's more about your standing with God. It's more about your worship with the Lord. Paul is so thankful for their gifts and ministry. He saw the greater value of the spiritual benefit of those who give. If you're not giving to the church and to ministry, give, you're missing out on what God is going to do in your life. Don't be a person that gives a little or none. Paul says, it's not about the gift. And that's why we encourage people to give. It's about your relationship with Christ. It's about your joy that you have. It's about your contentment of knowing, hey, we're participating in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know you hear churches barking all the time, give money, give money, give money. We're not barking about that. What we bark at or speak about is we know what it does for you. We know what it does. And I see that in Paul right here. It's so good for us to give. These principles are taught throughout scripture. I just got to read a couple of these real quick. Proverbs chapter 11, 24 and following. There is one who scatters yet increase, increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, but its result is only want. The generous man is prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. He who withholds gains, the people will curse him, but blessing will be on the head of him who gives. Wow, what a verse. You know this verse, 2 Corinthians 9. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And you go, well, no, because if we give, we get a big house. That's not what it is. You get big you get a big God. You, you see how glorious he is. Your, your heart is, is softened and full of joy like it's never been before. That's the bounty he's talking about. This is not prosperity gospel here. This is about joying God in fullness. Acts chapter 20 verse 35. And everything I show, showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he himself said it is more blessed to give than receive. And you know that, don't you? See, our contentment is directly tied to Christ and our desire to see him glorified. Last statement here. Our Christ-exalting gifts to others are a sweet sacrifice to God. Look at his last couple of verses here. 
Verse 18, but I have received everything in full and having abundance, I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The church of Philippi is clearly reflected in the ministry of Epaphroditus. The whole church could not go to Rome to see Paul under house arrest. So they sent a guy and they said, will you go? And they ordained him to do that. We do that with our missionaries. We do that when our guys and myself, we go overseas and speak. You ordained and you send it. And we take suitcases full and we take money and we we go over there and we minister to those men and women on the field. And think about what happened. Epaphras almost died trying to bring the Philippi gift to him and caring for Paul. And I think that's the picture of the church. It dies. It, it, it almost dies sometimes giving out the gospel. We, we're, not, we're not, if you haven't been to one of our business meetings, there's not like millions of dollars sitting in the bank. <laughs> we live by faith as a church. What comes in, we live off of it. And, and so we, we, we come close to dying a few times this last few years. <laughs> a lot of times the elders were on their faces in my office pleading that God would meet needs. That's how God wants us. And there's great joy to that. He says, look, this is a fragrant aroma. It may seem frivolous at times to drop a check in that back or fill out the whole thing to have a direct deposit come. But God says it's a fragrant offering when it's given for the sake of the gospel. That's terms right out of the Old Testament. A fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God right out of the book of Leviticus. That's what he thinks about our gifts when we give. So Paul uses these terms to bring pure worship. Well, so much more to say on this, but let me close with just this thought and then we'll we'll take communion. Our Our true contentment can only come from Christ alone. It's simple, isn't it? You know that. You know that if you're trying to chase contentment through the things that you have or don't have, it's just not gonna do good, is it? You're gonna fall short. So say, Lord, I wanna be content in you. May the gospel impact more than just my soul being saved. May it impact my thinking, my tongue, my actions, how I perform on the job, my relationship with my spouse and my children. May I be content. In closing, I've been holding out these vast two, verse, three verses here, verse 20 through 22. I don't want you to miss this next week. An incredible gratification to a church that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think you'll be very encouraged as we look at that next week. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll be content in communion here in a minute. Father, thank you for this message, Lord. Um, boy, we need this. We need the reminder of this time and time again. We are but dust, Lord. We, we are weak. And our minds will drift and our hearts will drift. And Lord, idols will float in where they should not be, Lord. And so, Father, help us to crush those idols through being content in Christ. Knowing that you are perfect, though your plan is sometimes mysterious, We learn through trusting you when we cannot see. You told us to live by faith, not by sight. 
So Lord, let us find joy as we live by faith. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the body of Christ that meets at Grace Bible Church. Strengthen us through this, through this truth taught today. Lord, we want to thank you for communion. Bless it now as we minister it. In Jesus' name, amen.